wellness and self-care is a form of discipline as well because what i've learned is any journey takes time and you know it's not easy and if if you're not healthy you're not going to be happy you know and if you're not happy you're not going to be healthy and so that takes a lot of intentionality welcome to inside out career design in this show we're obsessed with answering a single question Is it possible to create an authentic, meaningful, and fulfilling life you love while building a successful and rewarding career? My name is Peter Axtell, and I'm here with Nicola Vetter. We're co-founders of the whatsnext.com Career Insights platform and creators of the groundbreaking Motivation Finder Assessment. Join us as we seek to transform suffering into joy for millions of people stuck and confused in their lives and careers. We'll share our insights, discoveries, and life lessons and talk with career experts, leaders, spiritual guides, psychologists, data scientists, coaches, anyone who might hold a strategy or answer to the age-old questions of what's next for me and what should I do with my life? Are you trying to figure out what to do with your life? To figure out what to do with the precious time you've been given on this earth? Or to figure out what only you, as a remarkable and unique individual, can bring into this world? If you are, please join us for one of our live and completely free online workshops where we cover different topics to help you figure out what to do with your life and career without wasting precious time, taking wild guesses, or risking it all. To save your spot in our next live and free workshop, go to whatsnext.com forward slash workshops. We can't wait to see you there. Again, that's whatsnext.com forward slash workshops. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Inside Out Career Design Podcast. Our guest today is Lin Nguyen. Lin is a leader in the nonprofit and philanthropic sector who loves the lifelong process of growing into our authentic selves as a means of making a difference in the world. He has over 30 years of experience in organizational leadership and management consulting and currently serves as Vice President for Equity, Culture and Talent at the Lumina Foundation. But he also has a surprising gift as a painter and artist in residence. Another interesting aspect about Lin is that he learned from an early adversity as an immigrant from Vietnam to apply self-discipline, self-awareness, and a curious and artistic mindset to follow his own path by testing and paying attention to his own experience. He then applied lessons learned, which led him to where he is today. It's a fascinating and absorbing journey into the mind of an amazing person. Lynn continues to surprise us. That's why we were so excited to talk with him. And in our conversation, we talk about how a lot of fears are stuck in the body by what we've learned and are not a natural part of who we are 
which is why we can let them go with compassion and empathy. How wellness and self-care is a form of discipline. Because if you aren't well, you won't be happy and nothing will work. Why visualizing your North Star is a powerful way to put that image in your mind. And how Lynn combines spirituality and analytic thinking to create the life he wants by doing walking meditations, which he teaches in our conversation. And now it's time to listen and learn from Lynn. Welcome, Lynn. It's been 10 years since we first met at our mutual coach training with Newfield in Florissant, Colorado. That's and right. When, when we spoke the other day, you talked about a big what's next moment that involved golden handcuffs. So please tell us that story and how you got to that moment. Um, yeah, thank you. It's great to see you again. And I love what um, the two of you are doing. It's a, a very um, innovative and courageous uh, endeavor. So <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. So, you know, when we met at that coaching um, uh, retreat or, or training, um, I was in uh, the midst of, of a major career and life transition. Um, you know, after years of trying unsuccessfully to have children, Christina, my wife and I had gone through the adoption process and were um, you know, on the cusp of going to China to bring home our daughter. And, you know, with that, I decided to um, start a new path. Um, I, at that point, was a managing partner at um, Accenture, a global consulting firm. And... Um, you know, with Catherine, our daughter's arrival, I wanted to um, have more control over how I spend my time. But truthfully, uh, the real control or the real interest was really um, about having work and how I spend my time to be more authentic um, to where my passion and, and personal, you know, interests were. And I knew that the longer I stayed at Accenture, in some ways, it the the further I get from who I really am, um, I knew that I had the the ability to flex to whatever the job required, and I knew that um, what was required ahead of me at Accenture as a senior partner, so on and so forth, required uh, a certain way of being that I did not really care for, and in fact, I was kind of scared of becoming that person. And I knew I was capable of becoming that person. So I was at this choice point, uh, for lack of better terms, and um, you know, was going through a lot of reflection on the one hand, and then on the other hand, discovering that I, as I started that reflection process, that um, there are a lot of things that I never took the time to process in my own life journey. Um, you know, uh, I, I'm a refugee immigrant generation came over with my family as refugees from Vietnam with the, the end of the war in 1975. And there are lots of things surrounding that story um, that was um, that translated to just a lot of heaviness in my life. You know, I carried a lot of responsibility and 
you know, as a young person, nine years old, turning 10, um, I made a conscious decision at that age to become kind of uh, uh, the, the caregiver, if you will, to my family. Uh, my, my way of processing vulnerability that I felt in the family was to take responsibility. And I think, you know, we, we see this a lot. It, it is in its own way, kind of a classic American immigrant story, you know, uh, a youngster coming over and taking responsibility and, and then doing great things with it. But um, in hindsight, I think at that point, I realized that I, I carried in my body this heaviness, you know, um, and uh, no matter what I did, there was always kind of this um, melancholy sadness, you know, that I couldn't shake. And um, it was that new field that, you know, all of that began to, to get um, understood. And then the process of letting go of, of all of that weight. And then, you know, in order to move on, you know, uh, I, I now understand it as making space, you know, for what's really authentic, my what's really authentically my journey. And in order to make space, I had to let go of other things that really didn't belong to me, but I took on, you know, uh, at a very young age. You also mentioned that when you were at Accenture, you were in a certain position at Accenture. There's, at, at that moment, tell our audience about the position you were in at Accenture, what you walked away from, please. Yeah. Yeah, so I joined the firm. I had the good fortune of being recruited into um, a uh, very, very new practice back in those days called change management. And now the term change management has become pretty universal. But back in those days, um, change management was a very new concept. You know, we used to say change management in air quotes, you know. and so I came in at the ground level and was trained in that practice and fast forward, um, became managing partner for that line of, of that service line um, in the public sector um, practice. Um, so that involved overseeing the change management practice for our government, higher education, and then towards the end of my career, our nonprofit uh, sectors. It involves, um, to, uh, you know, ultimately running some of the largest, you know, transformation projects in the U.S. Um, and uh, on the government side, um, you know, and it involves being a rainmaker, uh, as is often the case in large consulting firm. You know, your ability to earn your keep correlates entirely to, you know, your ability to, to win work. And uh, so, um, so it's, it's all of those things. And, um you know, I'm I'm a fairly disciplined person, and so that 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 role suited me really well. On the one hand, you know, in terms of technical skills and certain aspects of my personality, you know, um, and um, but it's not the entirety of who I am. Um, so, and that was the challenge. You know, uh, I would. I would say the challenge throughout my life has always been how do I attend to all the things that define me? And, um, you know, and we live in a society uh, here in the U.S., but I think largely anywhere where you had to pick, you know, from a career standpoint, you know, what you want to be best at. And then how do you kind of 
accommodate all the other things that define you as well. And, um, you know, I was always someone just, uh, I always um, struggled with that. So, Lynn, if I had to describe you, mm -hmm. I would say that you're analytical mm -hmm. and spiritual. You're also an accomplished artist. In fact, so accomplished that you're an artist in residence at the Harwood Art Center in Albuquerque, in addition to your job at the Lumina Foundation. So mm -hmm. how have you combined all of these parts into the life you're living today? Um, yeah, thank you. Um, mm -hmm. Combining it uh, into my life was the intention that that I, I started to, um, to to develop uh, while while working through that new field uh, coaching experience, you know, um, and that was the big question that I, I that was the problem that I was solving for in my life, you know, how to make time and space and, you know, uh, navigating that. Um, the the shorter way of answering that question is being intentional about choosing my day job, one that is um, fulfilling, uh, one that really aligns with my values and my my passion, and it happens to be in the social sector. I, uh, given my life story, giving back to society really is everything for me, you know. And I've had the good fortune of finally navigating into a sector that does exactly that. Um, but choosing uh, a job and choosing uh, an employer who allows me to do my, the work at a very high level, but yet um, work in a way that allows time, you know, enough time and balance in my life to paint on the weekend. So, you know, all of my painting I do on the weekends um, and it allows me time and space to also, you know, uh, be engage in music because I also love music and I'm a musician as well as you know Peter not mm -hmm. as not not at the level that you play um, <laughs> but but it's it's very very important in my life and so you know it's been making a conscious decision to keep navigating to jobs that allow me time and space and then having to uh, to make some trade-offs you know because what I gain um, comes with some trade-offs and um, and then lastly i would say uh, learning to um, stay center in what's important to me and and uh, you know uh, this might sound simple and trite to say but learning not to compare myself to others because one of the great benefits and one of the great challenges at the same time of navigating a path that might be very very unique to oneself is you know, not comparing yourself to others <laughs> and not, not being compared to others in terms of success, happiness, and so on. And it takes a level of singularity and belief in one's journey. You know, that's, you know, uh, that's not, um, in the best of days, it's a wonderful feeling, but in the worst of days, it's, it can be um, very, very hard, you know, because you, you're always wondering, what if I had taken the other path? What if I had stayed? You know, what, you know, you're always processing all these what ifs, you know. <laughs> mm, absolutely. So there are so many words that already pop up here since mm. since we started this interview. Vulnerability, melancholy, making space, then passionate values, belief. We'll dive into all of this. But first, I, I would like to know passion and values. Mm -hmm. You say uh, it's important for you to align those. 
But the first step is to find those. So how do you, how did you find them? How did you articulate them? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I would say in the early stages of that, um, I wanted to uh, define it starting from the inside out, um, if you will, because there there are ways in which you can define that path outside in. You know, meaning outside in would be what jobs are available. You know, what else can I do? You know, what's available in the world, and how do I kind of get a job first and foremost? And then you work backwards and saying, how can that job align to me, and how do I align myself to that job? Right. So that's kind of an outside in approach. Um, and I knew how to do that very well. Um, and in fact, sometimes when I coach people who ask for that kind of career and life uh, and job transition help, I, I start help them start outside in. But I started inside out, uh, which for me uh, started with who am I, you know, at the core. Um, and one of the things that helped me with that is a spiritual practice that kind of started when I was about 10 years old. Um, uh, I did not grow up in a religious family. You know, faith and religion was always in the background, but we were not religious. And the, the process of leaving Vietnam under a lot of trauma um, resulted in, you know, the classic, you know, 10-year-old, you know, talking to God or talking to the universe <laughs> and making, you know, various deals, you know, one of those god if you exist or you know if there's some meaning to the world you know uh, then let's have a conversation and you know a, a little bit of deal deal shaping with the almighty you know saying you know if if you will allow my family to to survive this you know this experience if you will allow us to do this and that i will do my part you know to to earn my keep if you will um so uh, my my inside out process to this day continues to be that, um, for lack of better descriptions, um, a dialogue, this ongoing dialogue with the universe where I continually ask, you know, what should I be doing? What's my purpose? What's my calling? Um, and uh, to make a longer story short, uh, the answer was always, you know, do what you were blessed with, you know, do what you were born with. Um, and so for me, this constant checking back what what was i born with you know in terms of innate abilities and just you know my innate personality you know nowadays we have language such as strengths you know and strengths finder <laughs> passion finder and so on and so forth um and um yeah so for me it's, it's it started with you know what are all taking inventory who am i relative to all the things that i seem to be naturally good at and all the things that I naturally gravitate to and then where do I go from there hmm. beautiful we'll we'll dive more into that right yeah okay yeah. in a moment you don't do well in a world of scarcity no. and <laughs> <laughs> so I can't wait to hear about your views on a scarcity mindset as opposed to an abundance mindset. So you've talked about how you couldn't thrive when you were in an environment of scarcity. So can you tell us the story of what happened when you put yourself in an abundance environment? Mm. Yeah. Uh, when I'm in abundance, 
or in an abundance in my environment and mindset. Uh, the closest uh, terms that I have to describe that is uh, I am uh, allowed or, or allow myself to be in um, kind of uh, um, manifesting mode, you know, um, you know, in, in the in the laws of attraction, you know, kind of world where uh, what I envision, you know, and what I dream for and the clearer that is, you know, and the more present and connected I am always continuously to that, the more it manifests, right? And so abundance for me is 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 kind of operating in that mindset, not in kind of this, you know, esoteric wishing and it'll happen, you know. <laughs> um it, it it is hard work, but it's grounded by, you know, moving towards, you know, what I envision and and every day, you know, articulating and doing work and just you know, manifesting that. Um, so, for, so for me, that's abundance, and that's where uh, that's where my strengths are, and that's where I am happiest, and that's where I would argue I'm most uh, effective. You know, and the opposite of that, you know, um, of course, is having to work in scarcity environment, and I I I describe uh, that experience as um, you know a, a very draining. You know, it's like uh, draining my batteries and, and that kind of environment does not recharge me. It's not quite kryptonite where, you know, where I, I, I can't fly at all, you know, in, in that metaphor. But it is sort of like draining my batteries in a way that, you know, ultimately is not sustainable. I can stay with it for, for as long as I could, um, but ultimately it just doesn't recharge my batteries and therefore I can't you know, in the end can't do it, you know. So sometimes I say that's, that's my, my, um, that's a fault of mine. You know, some people are very, very good at staying in a groove and staying, you know, very centered in, in, in situations that they know uh, isn't, aren't perfect for them. Uh, I don't do very well in that environment. I can stay in it for a period of time, but ultimately I just know it doesn't work for me. Mm -hmm. Let's drill down on this a little bit. How would you coach someone to change to an abundance mindset? Because you know there are those weeds that are constantly growing up in the mind and the what we call the egoic voice. It's the voice of doubt, resistance. Mm -hmm. How would you coach someone to s s slowly switch over to an abundance mindset? Mm -hmm. Probably someone who has never, never heard of that or who has no tools, who has no abilities to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, um, I, I, I usually invite folks to start with what feels very basic, but I think very, very essential, uh, which is start with what does uh, happiness uh, for oneself feels, feel like, right? Um, and and again, in an embodied sense, not just intellectually, what makes you happy? You know, so first, you know, people start wherever they are when they say this this makes me happy, and I, and you know, again, this, this is the kind of stuff that we learn at Newfield. What does that feel like in your body? You know, because 
you know, checking in with yourself, you know, the, the body does not lie. <laughs> um, you can say all sorts of things intellectually about what makes you happy, like money and fame and so on. But, you know, your body will tell you, actually, that's not it, right? Uh, sometimes the body will say, ultimately, what makes me happy are, you know, feeling seen, feeling embraced, you know, feeling accepted, uh, being creative, you know. Um, so I start there, you know, what is that? feel like um and then uh and then kind of work work from from there out you know what is uh give me examples of being creative give me uh, a, a an example of feeling seen uh give me an example of feeling like you're belong that like you belong uh safety is very important for a lot of people what does safety feel like you know um yeah, you know, and I would say, and then I, I generally share what it was like for me. You know, um, I would say that at the peak of uh, my career at Accenture, uh, for those from the outside looking in, it looks like I have all these ingredients, safety, belonging, you know, obviously security and so on. But that's not what my body was telling me. <laughs> you know, um, my body was saying, Lynn, you're about to go on a, the next leg of a journey that requires you in order to be, to be successful in this role, you have to convert yourself even further to being, you know, the kind of senior partner that this firm requires you to be. And I felt that kind of, you know, anxiousness in my body, like I was moving further and further away of what actual happiness, what actual safety and belonging feels like in my body, you know. I feel certain part is an internal energy that is stuck. It's mm -hmm. trying to get out. Mm -hmm. And you're absolutely right. I'm so glad you reminded me that your body will not lie to you. Your, your mind will tell you all kinds of stuff, but not your body. And that pressure inside of you, for me, is a signal. Something doesn't quite feel right. What does it feel like to you when you are in a state of equanimity and you think I'm, mm -hmm. things are going pretty well? I'm in balance. What does that feel like to you? Um, it feels like uh, you're just flowing along, right? Um, even when you're really busy, even when you're feeling stress. And again, uh, I make this distinction that stress, it doesn't mean that you uh, are unhappy. You know, <laughs> uh, fatigue doesn't mean that you're unhappy. Uh, it is about, you know, the, the totality. And so... Um, you know, you're feeling like you're in flow, what you're doing kind of creates this movement and you're in it. And this movement is what you want. And you're moving towards closer to one's vision and you're close, moving closer to who you are in that vision, you know, um, and it feels balanced. It feels really generative. Like what you're doing is, is manifesting, not just, you know, oneself, but you're manifesting outcomes that touch on the lives of, and uh, of, of other people, you know, and where it's really beautiful is when you're in partnership with others who are equally motivated like that. So, <laughs> you know, collectively you're in flow and that flow generates, you know, this beautiful, you know, outcome. And so I think that uh, to, to be working with folks in a mission with shared values, uh, with shared interests and a commitment, Right to to work at it through through this uh, asset based way of thinking is just 
you know, a very, very beautiful thing. And it's taken me a long time, you know, to, to, to find what I call the intersection of all of that. Mm. Yeah, we're, we're big on flow. So yeah. it's, it's one of the things that we, that we teach right at the be beginning mm -hmm. of, our, of our program. Mm. And the important thing there really is to feel. So uh, to feel is something that many analytical people don't allow themselves, right? But we had the, the gift of having an amazing mutual teacher, Dan mm. Newby, who was, by the way, one uh, sure. Who, he was I know. the first guest of our podcast. Oh, cool! And and it's important to not only feel, but to have language, to being able to articulate what you feel, because language is generative, which is an idea that we've been trained in, just like you. So, what does language generate in your view? What does language generate in what? Mm -hmm. In your view, in my view, mm. um, language uh, is uh, for me. I, I use the term framing, you know, and and language is part of framing. Uh, but framing is a little bit broader than just words. You know, it's uh, words that uh, that are coupled with meaning and and beliefs, um, and you know, and how those things. Um, feel and are embodied in oneself. Uh, so I call that the frame, you know, framing is very, very important. And um, when the frame is not right, I've discovered that you can go on, um, you, you know, you can go, at least for me, let me just speak for myself. Um, I can go for, for, a, 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 for a period of time thinking, right? that I'm balanced, uh, and then I realized, ah, actually, I am off frame. You know, I'm no longer in my frame because uh, I'm, I somehow got myself um, convinced that what I'm doing is within my frame when, in fact, I compromised and I'm doing something that might feel very proximate, right? Um, it's sort of like, you know, the, the metaphor I say, you know, is let's say this, this conversation is within the camera frame, you know, and when we're in that frame and we're having this wonderful conversation that then we're in flow right but in my life i've i've done things in the past where i'm slightly out of frame <laughs> um and it catches up to me because you know again i i find myself going oh gosh you know i've spent another several years doing this but it just doesn't feel like the sweet spot you know it isn't in frame so how do I, you know, what's wrong with the way I'm framing this, you know, and I sharpen my frame, you know, uh, to saying, okay, uh, this is, you know, I was calling it this, but now I'm calling it this, and this has more meaning. So uh, to, to give a concrete example, you know, uh, a lot of what I did uh, throughout my career leading up to Accenture was through a career frame. And that's many of us are taught and socialized to go through life through a career frame. And when Christina and I became parents and with that, you know, it started to make the scary step to, to leave Accenture, we, we, not, we, we, we kind of um, stumbled on this term that really has been our frame uh, for quite some time. 
which is livelihood. So we shifted from a career frame and how to think about career, how to talk about career and career growth to livelihood, you know, which is more of an entrepreneurial way of thinking it, you know, uh, it's about, you know, what works for us, what kind of life do we want to have and what do we need to do and what is needed to sustain that, you know, that life. And then we cobble together a constellation of things, you know, that is part of our livelihood model, you know. Okay, you anticipated one of the questions we were going to get to later, but we'll just jump in right here. The distinction between career and livelihood. Mm -hmm. When we talked about that the other day, that just stuck with me. And I think you just described the difference between livelihood. There's something more open about livelihood than career. But what about people who don't have the the guts that it takes to be an entrepreneur because it is not easy what about people who like the security of a paycheck mm -hmm. and and they they that just works for them sure that how how is that helpful for them to look at that as a livelihood is that one semantic word shift help to change their satisfaction at work do you think um i love that that question peter and and um I've, I've invited and 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 offered that way of thinking to a number of people that I've worked with, both formally as a coach and informally, uh, as a friend and advisor or mentor, et cetera. And I would say, even when you're in a, a career-oriented job, you still can can possess a livelihood mentality, which says that ultimately I'm here because this job, this you know, that I've been in for a long time and will continue to be until I retire, supports a bigger picture, you know, supports a bigger purpose. And that purpose and that pic bigger picture is my own, right? So that you feel like, you know, it's serving a bigger objective that's personal. You know, I've, I've encountered a lot of people who give entirely their life to, you know, their company. Uh, they give their entire life to their careers and then when that life, uh, when that career or that job ends, they just kind of experience this huge gulf of, of, of sadness and despair because, you know, there's nothing else. And they're shocked to learn that actually, as much as I thought I was, you know, giving myself to this company, the company doesn't really ultimately care about me. I'm just a number, you know. Um, and so even if you're in a career uh, and, you know, you're not, navigating and you're not innovating as much as maybe I have been doing, you still can um, can occupy this mindset that ultimately the bigger picture uh, is your livelihood, you know, and this career, this job is just a piece of it, you know. And so for me, entrepreneurialism isn't just, you know, in a traditional sense of, of you know, being a business owner, entrepreneurialism is a mindset and a skill set and a behavior, and you could apply that to whatever, to whatever you're in. And quite frankly, I think the 21st century economy, you know, and and the the work, the future of work, uh, is so rapidly changing that I think entrepreneurialism or entrepreneurship as a mindset and a skill set and a way of thinking is a critical core competency for the future, regardless of whatever, you know, path one chooses, right? 
You know, a lot of what we're talking about here are problems with our minds and habits. And for example, you had earlier, you advised people not to compare yourself and not to be envious. So those are often habitual patterns that are really hard to break. So how have you done it and what tips would you give your audience to break those habits? Um, that's a good question. Um, how have I done it? Um, I, I I am definitely human, Peter, and uh, so you know <laughs> when when I visit with friends who st stuck with it, you know, longer than I did, you know, in various different endeavors, and because they stuck with it, you know, have benefited, you know, economically, financially, you know, or status or power, I do experience envy <laughs> you know uh i do compare and i do wonder gosh you know had i stayed what would have happened um so i i i used to beat that beat myself up uh, over that and then finally i said you know that's just you know i'm human just like everyone else and so that's what i feel i allow myself to feel that um so that i'm not kind of you know uh, somehow shortchanging my friends for being so successful because, you know, just because I envy them. Um, but then I, I make space literally to, to walk away from that and return, you know, to where I live and how I live in order to restore, you know, my sense of, yeah, but you've chosen this and your center of gravity and where you feel happy and where you feel balanced is not, you know, where your friend experiences that and so more power to him uh, but you're not him <laughs> you're you and you've chosen to be over here and the ability to to to, to do that is very important and you know uh, it is at the heart of it one of the reasons that we when we began to shift from career to livelihood uh, we also left Washington DC because it's really really hard you know to be swimming in the water, you know, that socialize everybody the same way, you know, if you're going your own path, you have to have, you have to have the, the courage and the willingness to step out of, you know, certain environments that, that don't foster that and go find an environment that suits yourself better. And you have to surround yourself with friends and, and others that can support that vision, you know? Um, so, so that's partly how I've done it you know and it allows me to navigate and stay connected with people and really appreciate all the various journeys that that everyone is on without feeling like i'm torn because you know um because i haven't made the right decision i guess we're not all saints yet lynn like <laughs> we're all we're all human and imperfect and we're back to this super important point about environment and how important your your environment is there's resonance yeah. resonance in your environment yeah. as well right there's an energy often that's what yeah. i yeah. Uh, get to so i i want to dig into the idea of belief and optimism Mm. Uh, a little more and how it's different from magical thinking you you mm. talked about that the woo-woo part uh, slightly so i also remember you saying that belief is key to manifesting anything 
Can you expound on that and and give some examples from your own life that mm -hmm. convinced you that belief is real and that it works? Whether you um, apply belief through um, the spiritual lens of, you know, what is my purpose? And maybe there's that purpose has a longer arc and and you're and you are moving towards that purpose or your spiritual belief says that I'm not alone. Right. <laughs> and by being true to my purpose, I will be supported and will be guided, you know, by by, you know, um, by God or by the universe. Um, so whether one comes at it through that lens or one comes at it through um, kind of an entrepreneurial lens where you believe you have a vision of what you could do, you have a vision of a, a service or a product or a value that can, you can create in the world, and you believe that you have the ability to get there, even though <laughs> all evidence seems to be that you haven't learned how to do it, you don't actually have the the prior experience right and it's all new to you you believe because you know why why would i have this vision and why would this vision feel so present in my body if i'm not you know gonna be able to get there and so believing in oneself you know and then believing in the journey because you know along the way you know uh, it's very very scary you know especially you know starting new businesses where you know you're putting a lot of money in and you have to believe that you're going to get the return at some point in the future. So so that's another lens, entrepreneurial lens that you requires belief. Um, and then last but not least, I, I think, you know, uh, having guided many organizations and having been uh, on my own entrepreneurial journey, you have to have a belief to, you know, bring people together uh, to work on a shared mission particularly if that mission is really challenging or innovative or that mission is um, uh, hasn't been done before right or that 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 vision you know is a different way of doing something um, you have to have that belief and so uh, for me um, it feels the same way in my body whether you whether I am applying belief in a spiritual sense, or I'm applying belief in an entrepreneurial sense, or I'm applying belief in a project management or change management standpoint, you know, it's the same thing, you know. So Lynn, I have a friend who is in the grip of fear. Mm. And he's in fear that he's going to run out of money and is going to end up on the street, even though he's a millionaire. He's not a multimillionaire, but he is a millionaire. Mm -hmm. He says he can feel it in his body, and it's so strong that he can't seem to break it. Is this an emotion or is it a belief? And how would you coach him to break out of this? Mm. Um, well, first I would share how I've experienced that, and then maybe from there uh, offer some suggestions to him. I resonate with what you described because, um, you know, number one, I think scarcity is something that I inherit, inherited uh, from my family. Um, and I have loved ones uh, who, you know, for, for various reasons, um, work, you know, are, are just sitting with a lot of, you know, scarcity because, you know, it's multi-generational and so on and so forth, right? Um, I jokingly say that, you know, 
my mother, what I learned from my mother is um, the glass is always half full of things that could kill you. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah. And she would say whenever things get going, it uh, gets really tough. She would say things like, uh, you know, um, don't worry, get some rest. You know, it's not as... Um, it's not as bad as you think because it'll be worse someday, you know, so, <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, so it's nothing, you know, save yourself because it, you know, life, life, life is, is not easy. You know, that's because, you know, she's got plenty of evidence to show for that. Right. You know, and you'll never get out of life alive. Right. So, yeah, <laughs> uh, you know, and, and all of those things are. Um, so one, I would suggest to your friend that part of the work here is understanding where that comes from, you know, uh, and out of a sense of, of self-awareness and from self-awareness, a level of of, uh, of empathy and, and compassion for your family and all the people who taught you this and compassion for yourself, right? Because uh, I find a lot of that, you know, that fear is embodied and, you know, learned, right? And, uh, and appreciating where you learned it from and having some compassion for yourself and those who who supported you but maybe taught you things that no longer served you well it's a place to, to examine and i certainly did a lot of that work to let go of that and saying yeah i feel that but that feeling is not really natural to me i learned that you know from my loved ones and i love them for that but it's not my fear it's their fear Right. And that was, you know, a lot of work, a lot of therapy to realize that's where it comes from. And um, then um, saying, OK, you know, if that, that's not really my fear, that's a learned fear. You know, what what kind of fear is really authentic to me? You know, and not and again, I have different fears. And, you know, so it's to say that it's not like I am fearless. I just have different fears <laughs> and knowing with a level of distinction, whose fears you're you're holding, um, you know, is is important. And then lastly, you know, I think that um, it's a combination of um, critical thinking, hard work, and belief, so that you're not, you know, dealing with fear through magical thinking. You know, uh, you have to say, okay, you know, I've done all my homework. Um, this is what I'm doing has a level of risk. But I've looked at all the various risk mitigations, you know, strategies, and I've taken all those steps, right? And I have done my homework. <laughs> you know, uh, I have done the, the the warrior work, the athlete's work, whatever metaphor you put into it, you know. And 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 the last piece of this work is just conviction and courage and belief to stay with it, you know. Mm. So there we are at belief again. You said that vision is tied into belief and acting as if your vision has already come to pass is really important. So how do you do that exactly, especially if you're trying to figure out what's next? Mm. Yeah. Um, I remember this lovely conversation I had with one of my best friends at Accenture when I was um, getting ready to leave or as I was leaving and, you know, walking away from all that, that I had gained, you know, and, and basically walking away from the golden handcuffs. Um, 
And um, my friend Dodd said, um, he, this was years ago before, you know, now the, this notion of the multiverse and time-space continuum is, is, you know, very au courant. And, but back in those days, you know, he was saying, you know, Lynn, have you ever heard of kind of, you know, this, this theory that everything that, that will happen, you know, has already happened, you know, and he, he, he set this metaphor. If, imagine this plane, my hand is everything that will likely happen, you know, in your lifetime, you know, is, is this hand and time space continuum, it's already happened. Um, but you're, you're here, you know, and your human experiences, you're here and that's all you know, right? But everything that might be possible in your lifetime and then others is already defined in this plane. Um, and maybe, Lynn, you know, why you feel a sense of conviction in, in leaving and embarking on this thing, even though you all are also sitting with all this fear, is because somehow there's a part of you that's tapped into this plane. And you know where you're moving towards is meant to be in, in, in some, you know, in this time-space continuum has already happened, you know. And the closer you are, the, the more tapped into that you are the more you have this inner belief that you're moving towards the right direction even though there's all this fear and uncertainty you know and he said maybe that's what you're experiencing you know and i found that very comforting you know what i mean um and so that's that's kind of woo woo language way of talking about it you know the the <laughs> the 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 critical analytical way of talking about it is you know you've done your homework you've done a business plan you've you've done the research, you know, you've asked the experts, you know, <laughs> right? And after doing your research, after talking with all the experts, you realize that no one has done the exact thing that you're about to do either, right? <laughs> you know? And guess what? You know, you still have to muster up the courage, right? To do the thing that is unique, you know, amidst all of the research and amidst all of the experts that, um, you know, um, that you've gained and then you built a business plan and you're disciplined about it, you know, um, and, and you're moving towards, towards your vision and you're willing to take the risk and uh, willing to sit with the uncertainty and the fear, you know? I think you so eloquently put the difference between magical thinking. I have this vision and I think it's all going to work out. You're talking about, I have a vision, but you're also talking about doing the work of asking the experts, of doing the research, of doing the work of what is out there, and what's my competition, or whatever it is that you're trying to do, rather than just what you're dreaming about in your mind that you think is somehow going to work out. So you're talking about almost a combination, I think, of dreams and real uh, tangible research about what is in your environment, what's right now happening in the world, coupled with those two things. Vision is that, that North Star, more abstract thing. And the, the more work you have, the more work you put into it, the more connected you are to that vision. You have to have that vision embody, you know, so that, you know, um, 
that 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 vision has resonance with you um and there's work to to that to 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 gain that kind of resonance and belief in that vision but then you have to to have goals and you have to have plans and then you have to have discipline to to do that and that's what strategic plan is all about right you know the strategic planning process in a linear fashion is a is is spoken and used in those terms you know and and you put things in writing you know vision working backwards into goals and then plans and strategies to get there and then there's all the disciplines right to to plan the work work the plan and then to deal with all the emotions and complexity that come with that um, yeah, and spiritually, you know what? Uh, what I've learned is spiritually, it's it's the same process. So you, I think you said that you used to create vision boards. Do you used to do you believe that vision boards are a good thing for someone to do? Um, I I love that exercise, uh, and because I'm an artist, you know, kind of creating a collage or vision board is is lots of fun you know and um my family uh my wife and daughter still kind of do it uh to some extent um i no longer do it um per se as as a collage or uh, a physical board but i uh i have vision boards that are visual that that are visualized so in other words it's in my head you know and has that helped with your belief I've noticed that when we've done vision boards, we haven't done one in a long time, mm -hmm. but it does seem to be that you see all kinds of wacky stuff showing up that you just can't say that is just cannot yeah. be an accident. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, because I, I describe myself and my, my technique for learning and my style of learning is very visual. You know, if I can, I, I used to say this even as a child, I said, you know, if I can imagine it, I can do it. And people were saying, what? You know what are you talking about? You know, I said no. If I can imagine it, and 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 in my imagination it feels real. The more real it is in my imagination, the more I believe I can do it. You know, um, and so now I have a vision board that has all these stuff in my mind. Um, and so you know, for example, when I'm on the airplane getting from one place to another, and you know, I've done all my homework i shut the computer off and i just close my eyes and i kind of check in with my vision board and what's cool about that uh these days and one of the reasons that i no longer construct a physical vision board is i've learned to allow space for things to unfold and sometimes physical vision boards leave out possibilities that you know you don't really know about you know some people can be very very targeted you know I set a vision at the beginning of this past year or five years ago, 10 years ago, I've been relentless about that. And that's wonderful. And it works great for many people. One of the things that I've learned is this other stuff, you know, <laughs> that unfolds without your realizing it. And sometimes you miss the cues, you miss a lot of things if you're too rigid about your vision. And so when I because I've learned that when I check in with my vision board in my mind's eye, you know, when I close my eyes and I check in with that vision, there are always slightly new elements and things have unfolded and different people have come in and out of that vision board, you know, in in surprising and unexpected way. So yeah, the way I say it is I leave room for things to unfold. I leave room for a little bit of magic and I leave room for a little bit of mystery, you know, and it's still consistent with the vision. Um, so yeah, yeah, that's a great tweak. Okay. I'm going to, I'm stealing that one. <laughs>
It's very yeah. beautiful. Yeah. You know, I I created my first vision boards. And by the way, you don't have to be an artist to no, do no. this. <laughs> I created my first vision board when I was in my 20s. And then it became very much a process when I did my first coach training in Germany. And I looked at one the other day or the other month, it's a while ago again, and a lot has come to into fruition. It's, mm. it's amazing. So there is some kind of, I don't know, other forces that are uh, in place and falling into place if you allow yourself to dive into that. But right now, I would like to also dive into a little more. You, you just dropped the North Star again. So mm. how do you think the North Star or purpose intersects with a person's values? Because I'm visual, I'll describe it visually. You know, imagine that the North Star is a visual line of sight, right? Or a concept. And imagine that you're far, far from that North Star because, you know, you're just one person, you know, uh, standing on the earth, looking at the, the, the huge night sky and trying to figure out, okay, you know, where am I and which direction do I go in? You know, if the North Star is so, so far away, um, you know, I think your one's personal values is the compass, you know, and the compass could be something that you could apply in a very logical sense, you know. So what are the things that really define me? What are my values and my passions, you know, and use that as a compass to saying, you know, when I encounter this opportunity or when I'm walking in this direction, you know, am I, what is my compass telling me about that, you know? Uh, and is that moving in the right direction? Another way that one's values can work is, um, you know, you, we use the term, you know, that vision or that issue or that thing really resonates with me. And so that's what I uh, try to tap into. Again, is it an embodied way of thinking about values? You know, first you have to articulate and, and be clear about one's values. And then, you know, using your body, you know, if it resonates with you, you will feel it. And if it doesn't resonate with you, you will also feel it. And if it's quite, sometimes the hard part um, I've learned is um, it's easy when things are spot on and you just feel it. It's also easy when things are completely out of, you know, line with your values. The hard part I find are things that are proximate, you know, um, and it takes a while to have discernment to saying, yeah, that thing is proximate, but that's really not it, you know. And I think that's that takes a a, a bit more experience and, and and discernment. And so finally, I the the final thing that I would say is that, you know, unless you're doing this all by yourself, you also have to calibrate your values with other people's values and the other people's values don't have to be one and the same but they have to be in resonance with you i think peter this this notion of music is that you know to play uh, a to play several notes that are just appropriately spaced you know create you know harmony and sometimes when you're creating tension it's intentional tension to lead to resolution by playing these chords in a different ways but sometimes playing two notes side by side they feel very proximate so you think that that's a good thing but two notes side by side 
is actually dissonance, you know, uh, whereas two notes space, you know, appropriately creates harmony. Um, and I've been in careers and, and in work relationships and some, you know, sometimes even personal relationships where, you know, you're not, I, I'm with different people, but the way we're spaced you know, musically, you know, is harmony. And I've been with people who are very proximate, right? And we're feeling like we're in the same thing and side by side, but it's just, you know, it's just, it just feels horrible and sounds horrible. And I, that's when I realized actually I'm experiencing dissonance, even though it thinks we're very, very closely aligned. Does that make, does that make sense? I, I say that to I say that to musicians, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I think you just explained to me why I have never been able to get into dissonant music that is dissonant just for the sake of, well, we have to do something new, and so we're going to do all dissonant stuff, and there's famous composers who have done that. I just, it bothers me. I just can't, I just can't get into it. I know it creates tension and a little abrasiveness and texture and contrast and all that, but that's a really good explanation personally why I, I just can't. And sometimes it. when I'm working on a team and there's that tension because we're very similar, but we're not exactly alike and that, that dissonance is tension. I was saying, you know, there's nothing wrong with intentional tension if eventually you resolve it, right? But it's, if it's unresolved, you're just sitting with dissonance all the time and it's just really ugly music and jarring and, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you have some beautiful views on the role of spirituality in creating the life you want. So firstly, what do you mean by spirituality? And second, how have you used it in creating the life you want? I use the word spirituality, and I stay in that frame the same way that I shifted from career as a frame and a, and a language to livelihood. And here's the thing, um, having grown up in a fairly non-religious family, um, uh, first of all, I, I just, just uh, didn't have like a a rigid belief system that I was raised in. And then I was exposed to Christianity and then I was baptized in the Episcopal church. And the short version of that story is that, um, I, I have yet, and I put the word yet in there to have found a place of practice, you know, in a religion or in a religious place of practice where I feel like the environment aligns with the way I think, uh, you know, which is very generative, which is very kind of open-hearted. I find that religions, as soon as they have a creed, you know, that asks you to say what you believe in, which means ask you to say what you don't believe in, starts to narrow the lens. It gets closer to deficit thinking, you know, and I just fundamentally don't believe that <laughs> if ultimately your North Star around your spiritual belief is a, a, a god, right? Uh, and a spiritual being that transcends human experience, that the way to get there is through creeds that tell you what you should believe and what you shouldn't believe and who should be, you know, demonized. I just, it just hasn't worked for me yet, right? Maybe uh, someday I'll find it. So therefore, I've kind of had to go my own way, you know? And so by, by going my own way in this spiritual realm, I'm able to learn from a variety of different traditions and practices, you know, 
And then I attest it in my own terms. You know, uh, I, I shared with you that I, I, I love to walk and, you know, and do walking meditations. And in a lot of ways, my meditations are walking prayers where I have a dialogue with the universe. And sometimes I have a dialogue with my ancestors. You know, um, one, my, my grandmother uh, raised me and uh, she is kind of my guardian angel in a lot of ways. And I have conversations with her, you know, with her spirit, you know. Um, and so, so that's, you know, little examples of what I mean by, by spiritual, you know, way of, of engaging, you know, and I, I check in all the time. And so, like I said, you know, I, I have my own way of praying and then I pay attention because what I've learned is prayers aren't answered in words. They're answered in things that unfold. And if, you know, <laughs> and if, if I'm not paying attention, <laughs> yeah, how do I know if the, if if I missed the answer or not? And the answers aren't like I said. You know, I ask it in human terms. What I've learned is answers unfold in spiritual ways and not in human language. You know, mm. I'd like to drill down on that a little more. So when you say walking meditation mm -hmm. reflection, uh, then you send questions into the universe. Um, and the answers somehow come to you, right? So it's a spiritual and analytical process that you are that you are doing in a way. Can you teach that to our audience right now? Just a, a, a small part. I think about it as being in relationship with uh, with an experience with you know that uh, that takes time, that responds and interacts in different ways. So, for example, when I set out on a walk, I would set an intention or sometime a question, you know, and I, I sit with that question. I, I ask that question in my walk and I don't expect anything other than just staying open, right. To the experience of that walk. Um, and, and again, keeping an, uh, an open space and just being mindful, you know, so it's super easy to do in a lot of ways and super hard to do because we're trained to have this kind of back and forth thing. Uh, and that's not how it works. Um, in, in my experience, you know, so I said a question and sometimes I ask that question multiple times in my walk, you know, but I need to, but what I try to do is be mindful and present. Sometimes the answer is a, a whooshing of the wind. Sometimes the answer is, you know, Lynn, I hear you, you ask that question a lot, you know, for now, the answer is you should enjoy this walk, you know, you should work, let that kink in your back, you know, relax and let go of that little stress on your shoulder. That's the answer for now, right? Um, up to and including uh, one, uh, I'll just give this example where, you know, this is kind of a little woo-woo, um, but that happened in the midst of, of a process that took quite some time so what preceded my arrival, my, my choice and arrival at the Kellogg Foundation, where I served as COO, I'd been doing this walking meditation for quite a bit, again, processing what should I do next, right? Uh, what's my purpose? What's my calling? And, you know, I remember on one walk, um, the closest I've ever gotten to an answer that feels like words, but even though it wasn't words, was this kind of this sentiment that came to me as I was doing that walk. And the sentiment is you ask that question a lot. <laughs> uh, 
You know, it's as if God said, Lynn, you ask that question a lot. And that's all. That's the only thing I got in that walk. You ask that question a lot, you know? And so I reflected on that and reflected on that. And then, you know, in one of the walks with the same question, the aha moment was, you know, the answers have always been given, you know? Uh, what else do you want? You know, which is to say, I was born with these abilities. I've had the good fortune to, to build on those abilities. I still have those abilities. Yeah, so the answer have always been given to all of to, to all the times that keep asking the question, but I wasn't listening because that's not what I wanted to hear, right? You know, and the essentially what I learned from that that first part was, do what I gave you was the answer, right? And then one time again, what do I do next? Uh, I actually uh, had this. This word, this name, came up in my head as I was doing the walk. Um, this was a client uh, at the Kellogg Foundation, and it's not a necessarily a very, very close client. It's just one client in a large organization. But his name popped in my head for some reason, right? And it was odd. And I was like, "That's really odd. Why on earth would that person and that name pop into your head, of all things, right?" Um, so anyways, uh, I finished my walk, I went home, got on the laptop, looked him up, and I noticed that he's no longer at the Kellogg Foundation. He had left to, to, to take on a new opportunity. Uh, so I called the other another client who was head of HR, and I said, I'm curious, you know, so-and-so had left. What's going to happen to that role? And she said, ah, we're recruiting for that role, but in fact, we're upgrading that role you know, because that role is now important to the Kellogg Foundation in a very, very different way. It's now actually a VP role. I said, I think I'm supposed to and <laughs> explore this. Long story short, and this is a true story, um, I applied for that role, which was um, a VP role to help transform how the Kellogg uh, you know, foundation does evaluation and learning and impact. And that role led to the next role uh, when um, there was a promotion, internal promotion, and the COO of the Kellogg Foundation was appointed as CEO of the Kellogg Foundation. And she had been a client as well. And she, you know, we went through a search process and I was selected as her, you know, as, as her successor as COO. Uh, so that's how I came to the Kellogg Foundation and, and how I was, you know, blessed with this opportunity to do that. So anyways, um, you know, and but in between what I'm describing were lots of career conversations, you know, phone calls with folks in the field, the classic networking, you know, sharpening my resume, all of the critical homework, you know, of telling my story in a good looking resume, talking with all the experts. So for me, it's, it's doing all, all the above, you know, but, but that's a long way of answering kind of, and giving you an example of what, what that was like at, at a spiritual level. It's a beautiful way of answering mm -hmm. that question and a very practical way that I believe our audience will resonate with and will understand. And there are three words that really pop out for me 
that is openness. So really be open to that process and invite in whatever, whatever comes to you. Then there is trust, which is closely connected with belief. You have to trust in that the right idea and then action will come out of that. And the third one is hope. Because if you don't have hope, then what is there? Yeah. Uh, thank you for recapping that. And the last thing um, I would add, and it's not the word that I um, would have thought of, um, but one of my good friends said that um, to me, one of the things that he said he really liked and respected, one of my high school friends at, at one of our reunions said to me, uh, you've always been very disciplined. Um, and and so I would add that to this, and I don't mean discipline in the Puritan sense of the word where discipline equals work, because in this, in our society, we tend to equate discipline to work, right? We, you know, I come from a work culture as well, so it's not just Puritan, you know, culture and Puritan beliefs, it's really Asian and so on and so forth. But I don't mean discipline in the sense of, of hard work. Uh, sometimes I mean discipline in the sense of intentionality, you know? So in other words, resting, you know, doing, doing one's homework, you know, on a, in, in a variety of ways and being, you know, uh, dealing with the emotional discipline as well as the technical discipline, you know, and, and, uh, taking good care of oneself, uh, you know, wellness and 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 self-care is is a form of discipline as well because what i've learned is any journey takes time and you know it's not easy and if if you're not healthy you're not going to be happy you know and if you're not happy you're not going to be healthy and so that takes a lot of intentionality you know so in the midst of wandering and struggling you you have to have at least for me a level of discipline about how you do that I was listening to the Rich Roll podcast yesterday and Cory Booker was on and he said the most beautiful thing. He said that hope is the conviction that despair doesn't get the last word. Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, Lynn, is there anything that we didn't touch on that you really want our audience to know before we go? I remember when I, you know, during my onboarding at the Lumina Foundation, which um, was the culmination of yet uh, my process, which I've shared um, here. And so I remember saying to my boss, who uh, is this wonderful person, uh, Jamie Marisotis, I said, Jamie, I'm so grateful to be here. I really feel like I've found, you know, uh, a home. And basically I said, you know, what's your expectation for me? And Jamie said, Lynn, you do you. Aww. Right. And I almost cried, right? Because yeah. that that was his validation. It's like the spiritual answer, right? Through Jamie's voice and his conviction. And the way he said that you do you was what guided me to Lumina in the first place, right? And to have someone say his expectation as if he's channeling something bigger is you do you. And that's, that's what I would share with your audience and with anyone, you know, what I've learned in all of this is when it's all said and done, you know, uh, we're, 
uh, I think we fulfill our potential. We fulfill kind of spiritual purpose. And I think we do amazing things, you know, to make a difference in the world when each of us just does what each of us was meant to be, you know. What a beautiful place to end. I want to add, thank you for being. Oh, thanks. (laughs) Wonderful. Thank you so much for this conversation. Thank you. Oh, thank you for what you're doing. I I look forward to, um, you know, uh, learning more. And, um, you know, and and I, I, uh, again, when your email uh, came to me, that's one of those unfolding things that I think, okay, you know, pay attention. We're glad you paid attention, Lynn. Yep. Okay. (laughs) Thank you. Until next time. Okay. Okay. Until next time. We hope you enjoy this interview. A great reminder for me was when you go for a walk, set an intention and ask a question without expecting an answer necessarily. You might be amazed. Just being open to the experience of walking. I love that. Yes, and I just loved when Lynn asked his new boss at the Lumina Foundation, what's your expectation? And his boss said, Lynn, you do you. That's true leadership. Wonderful. To learn more about Lynn, head to whatsnext.com forward slash 25, where we share the transcript, links, and more. Again, That's whatsnext.com forward slash 25. And if you like what you've heard, share it with someone you care about and subscribe, rate and review our Inside Out Career Design Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Or watch it on our YouTube channel, whatsnext.com. One word, no dot and subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. Thanks so much for joining us here today. We'll see you next week for another episode. Same time, same place.